0: Genex Playback Episode number 23
1: And welcome to the Gen X Playback Show. It's your favorite show about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We are the Brothers High. I am Scott. And I'm Sean. And we are the broadcasting from the largest podcast in Nesville, Pennsylvania. And we are now being heard in 38 states, 14 countries, and 168 towns of Portsmouth, New Hampshire, which is just happens to be the birthplace of... Ronnie James Dio, from you're hearing right now from Dio, and this is a song Rainbow in the Dark. Portsmouth, New Hampshire is uh, a city, actually, I've been to numerous times through my travels with Amy and going to visit her dad, and he worked up there for about six years. I think he got me a sweatshirt there one time. I think so, yeah. Yeah, he was the executive director of the Prescott Park, so if you're from Portsmouth, New Hampshire... Everybody knows where Prescott Park is, and if you are somebody that likes to check out destinations, Prescott Park is one of the prettiest uh, views that you'll ever see in the New England area because you're sitting right at the at the uh, river. There's a bridge above that takes you into Maine. That's the borderline. And then the park, he was the director of the arts festival, so they used to have all kinds of summer shows that would go on all the time. So... Um, one of my favorite places I ever ate at was in town. I don't know if it's – I don't even think it's around anymore, but it's called Goldie's Deli. Okay. So if our listeners from Portsmouth, New Hampshire, remember Goldie's Deli, then uh, you maybe uh, shoot us a, a message and let us know if they're still around because that was a, a favorite spot of ours. Well,
0: you know, I, if he booked Ronnie James Dio to play there at the – what it was, at the <laughs> park or whatever he had there, then I would be impressed. But <laughs> but short of, of having Dio and Vivian Campbell and, uh, you know, the rest of the guys from Dio, nah well i I, I
1: think one year he had peter paul and mary okay you know that's going back a little bit further but that was a little bit more from his era but uh, right you know hey it's peter paul and mary they were a big deal at one time okay all right so you know as i said um we always like to kind of recognize and give a special thanks to our listeners and when we when we run you know the numbers and see where where we're at and just how just how much this little podcast has grown and um it's it's fun that there's Been a lot of positive reaction to it, and uh, we hope you're enjoying each every each and every episode that we're putting out there.
0: No, absolutely, and you know, as as we say from time to uh, time again, that you know we're here looking to to uh, help uh, bring back some of the good memories, and uh, as you listen along and kind of go along with the adventures of uh, Scott and Sean as we talk about our days back in the '70s, '80s, and '90s, and you know when we where we were when we heard certain songs or what we were doing and, you know, you know what clothes we had on, as you, as you found out last episode when we talked about fashion. Hopefully it, it brought back to mind some of the things that you might have been doing, like the clothes that you might have been wearing or, or, you know, but it's, you know, hearing Dio, you know, that uh, definitely takes me back to the day. I, I still remember the first time I saw that video. And, uh, and that's what's kind of neat about the, the Gen X era is that for the most part, when you hear a song, especially music... Uh, there's usually a visual that goes along with it. And it's, uh, you know, be, before we went on the air, Scott and I were doing a little walk down memory <laughs> lane uh, on on YouTube as we we were looking at some videos, some Billy Squire videos. And uh, it's just amazing because it does take you right back. So yeah, no, you know, hopefully other people are, are joining
1: in and, and enjoying that. And, and Ronnie James Dio had, you know, quite a career before the era of MTV by, by being in Black Sabbath. And then he also had his, you know, very successful solo career. He was really one of the true beginning, I guess you could call him heavy metal singers to show up on MTV. He I was. Mean, this was one of the first videos that were for, that you could yeah. label as heavy metal, right? And that you would that I remember watching on MTV.
0: And I know this is not an episode about Ronnie James Dale, Uh <laughs> but but you know it's you know when when we did our our don't come hair bands episode. Uh, you know, you found out that it's an area of music that I listen to quite a bit. And, you know, Dio's interesting because, you know, he did come out of the 70s. You know, that that was where he kind of, you know, made his bones, if you will, and got his reputation started before he and uh, uh, Vinnie apice or not, it, it was yeah it was Carmine and Peace of any you know the two brothers that pronounce their names differently right you know fortunately Scott and I both pronounce our last name <laughs> yes. the same yeah but they were both in Black Sabbath and kind of split off and decided they were going to form Dio and you know uh, Ronnie James Dio did not he was not the most handsome guy no you know but he you know he was somebody that kind of transitioned and maybe it's because of the style of music you know because it was. It was harder rock music, and it wasn't necessarily that you know the the pretty boy music that would kind of come later on with the you know the MTV hair bands. But he definitely transitioned, and I, I think he was somebody that was successful even after some of that you know the hair band music kind of died out.
1: And as somebody young, kind of seeing him on TV for the first time, I think one of the things that stood out to me was he didn't look like his voice. I mean, he had such a powerful voice, but he was. A relatively small guy he's barely five foot i mean he's a little over five foot probably and i just remember kind of being fascinated by that saying man you know this this guy's got an incredible voice you you hear that that power coming coming out you know and you don't really expect you hear it all the time it's like you folks that are listening to the podcast it's like you, you can only imagine what sean and i look like in in person you know you probably got it wrong we're, I mean, we're, we're, we're like kiss
0: we are you know we're behind, hiding behind the makeup that's right you know sean's six two i'm six three <laughs> yeah, right. which is completely <laughs> opposite
1: but anyway so um but yeah uh dio's from uh, from portsmouth new hampshire and, and portsmouth is a great city to go and visit really neat little downtown area it's kind of like stepping back into you know some of the older new england towns and i'm, I'm glad they're on board and listening to the gen x playback show so, yeah, and, uh, you know, I, it's always interesting,
0: you know, as I say repeatedly to hear the various towns and, uh, you know, when we pick up new countries. It, it is amazing that we are living in a time where, you know, we can, you know, talk about our memories here from Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and it, it, it can resonate in other places in the world. So it, it it's, it's pretty amazing.
1: And the millennials, you know, when it comes to the era of the podcast, I guess the millennials got something right, right? you know yeah yeah gen x couldn't control everything right fortunately
0: so, you know as you know we've mentioned before we are just young enough where we get technology <laughs> so we, we can be dangerous and they're like what are those old guys doing with a podcast yeah
1: well we have enough knowledge to actually get some microphones and some computers and you know you know get on air yeah you millennials you, you got you got podcasts right and get off my lawn <laughs> just uh, just uh so anyway so what we're going to talk about tonight and this is Going back to something that I've done for years as a wedding and party DJ since 1996 is whenever I would do a birthday party for somebody, one of my favorite things was I would go back and look at their birthday through the years, through the eyes of music. And when when I came up with this idea, uh, you know, Sean had just celebrated a birthday and I thought, you know, I did it uh, last summer when when Amy... Had her 50th birthday party, I, I did that throughout the night as I would play number one songs on the day that she was born. So, whether it was, you know, 72, 75. Now, her song in 1972, she hates because it's Alone Again Naturally by Gilbert O'Sullivan, which is quite honestly one of the most depressing songs I think I've ever heard in my life. And okay. so she doesn't typically like that. She'd rather me skip forward to 1975 when it's the bg's jive talking so you know it got her her list of songs got progressively better as the years went on but when when sean was uh having his birthday one of the things i did was i went back on billboard i never really looked at it before but i thought let me go back to march 19th through the deck you know through the decades of gen x and actually i was really impressed with the song list of the number ones from the dates on your birthday. That's what you said. So why don't we go ahead and get started? So we got 30 of them to go through. Well, and and this is, you know, it
0: also should be noted that, and I surprised Scott with this. I, I told him before we went on the air that I intentionally did not look at any of them.
1: Yeah, that really surprised me because it's
0: out of character for me. It is, yeah. yeah usually, I like to be you know well researched, and I thought, no, I'm, I'm not going to do it. And, and the reason is, is because he surprised me with the episode um, from in uh, January 1987, where he was he was you know went through the top 40, and I kind of liked my reaction. The fact that it, you know when you go back and listen to that episode, folks, and, and, and you know I hope you do. My reactions are all genuine because I have no idea what's coming. So that's what you're going to get here in this episode.
1: Well, I'll just throw some stats out at you before we start with the 1970 number one. And I thought these were a couple of things that were interesting to me. The first is 17 of the 30 hit number one for the first time that week. Okay. Okay. And I think I I say that's interesting because it, it to me shows the strength of the music of that era because it was rare for a band or an artist or a singer to be number one for more than one or two consecutive weeks I mean if they were number one for three or four weeks that was a major hit and the fact is you had chances are this song's number one for this week but it's going to be replaced by another song and I think that shows the strength of the music that was being churned out at that point particularly in the 70s and 80s I mean uh, it was rare for a band to be on the, you know, I think Betty Davis Eyes or or Physical, mm-hmm. you know, they had this long run, you know, Debbie Boone's "You Light Up My Life," but for right. the most part, those were the rarities. Most of the most of the songs were only on there for a week or two at number one. Which is what I really liked about that
0: era is is the fact you were always getting something new, which is why it's frustrating for me right now because I don't really care for a lot of the new music that comes out, and I like the fact that. That top forty, the, you know narrowing it down to that top twenty, it changed so constantly
1: that you really didn 't get tired of songs. The other thing I found interesting was that only four artists appear more than once on this on this list, okay, and uh, are, they, are, know, they, are these big names oh sure, yeah right. oh yeah you know, you'll definitely you'll definitely know who they are, okay, but I to me, I thought, yeah that's pretty fascinating, and one, I think no, two of them did it in back-to-back years. So, I, you know, just kind of think about maybe who that is when we start to get into the I'm, I'm going to the guess, the countdown, guess so. Michael
0: Jackson is probably one of those guys.
1: No, it's not. Whoa. Yeah. All right. Good. So There you go. Um, so we'll start off with our first number one. This is March 19th of 1970. Now, mm-hmm. you know, Sean was born in the 60s, but we're staying true to Gen X. Right. And so I think um, – is this is not going to be really a surprise to anybody this was a major major hit for uh, for this particular for this particular duo so
0: we're we going to do, name that tune you want me, you want me to trying no, 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 to name no. them? all right
1: Of course, it's Simon and Garfunkel. It's Simon and Garfunkel. You're listening to Art Garfunkel. Is this their biggest hit? It might be, because this song was, by the time it reached March 19th of 1970, this was one of the longest-lasting number ones on this list. It was okay. number one, this was the fourth week. So, this would have been...
0: Uh, so, right, okay. So, now, was this... Well, in March, it, it would have been, you know, mostly in 1970. Correct. So, okay. Yes.
1: Yeah. So it was on roughly. The, it started right around January when okay. it was introduced to the Billboard Top 100. Uh, but Simon and Garfunkel, um, you know, they were so wildly successful in the '60s, and this was kind of the end of the era for them as a pair. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously Paul Simon went on to have a hugely successful solo career in the '70s and even in the '80s with the Graceland album, won you know a number of Grammys, but for our garfunkel he even though he did have some success as a solo singer this was really the the pairing of the two of them and this like you said is probably their biggest their biggest album what i remember about simon and garfunkel was i remember they made such a big deal about them playing a concert in uh, new york city right. at the park yeah because like a hundred or two hundred thousand people showed up for it and they made such like wow, can you believe Simon and Garfunkel got back together again? I'm like, you know, who cares? <laughs> who cares about Simon and Garfunkel? But when I read the book on the life of Paul Simon yeah. and how influential they were in the 60s, particularly with The Graduate and the uh, soundtrack for that, it now retrospectively I can look back and see why it was such a big deal. Yeah, and that's something
0: where, you know, growing up, I i mean, I knew who Paul Simon was, and i I was aware that he had a former singing partner named Art Garfunkel, but I didn't know Simon and Garfunkel growing up
1: sure yeah and it's also should be uh n- noted to our Pennsylvania and Philadelphia area um fans that Art Garfunkel is a Phillies fan and has been for his entire life even though he's from New York City okay well now my opinion <laughs> on him has just changed I'm a big fan of that Art Garfunkel <laughs> uh Art Garfunkel I remember being him being interviewed at Citizens Bank Park right after it opened and he commented on how he's always been a lifelong Phillies fan okay so. Must have liked that Richie Ashburn back yeah. when he was growing up. There you go. So that was uh, March 19th of 1970. Now let's go to 1971. Busted flat in Baton Rouge,
0: waiting for a train. And I feel near news faded as my jeans. Bobby thumbed a diesel dam just before it rained. Well, I was really mellow my first two years of the '70s. A, playing soft while the blues.
1: Janice Joplin, mm-hmm. me and
0: Bobby McGee. So this was '71, 1971. I, I, do you know offhand
1: like when did she die? She died a few months after this. Yeah. So she, this song was kind of like... I mean, she had success after Woodstock. Was this on the charts after she died? I'm sure it stayed on the charts okay. after she did because she was literally within one or two months. This is number one. Yeah. So obviously it has its time going down off the charts. Right. And yeah, she she had passed away before this pro- song probably left. I guess all that success did not uh, pay off for her. Unfortunately, uh, she was somebody who passed away at the age of 27. She's part of that 27 club of so many uh, artists that have that have died at the age of 27. And she was just starting to really become a superstar as a solo artist because even when she was at Woodstock, she had barely just gone out on her own because she was with Big Brother Holding Company. And before that, she played in various groups and was never the person and she'd only been doing it for about 2 years. When this song came out, and then she, you know, she obviously she had an addiction to drugs, but, uh, you know, she passes away, and it's at the age of 27. Who knows how much more she would have been able to give in the 1970s.
0: Right, and, you know, listening to this song, it it sounds like 1971. I mean, it, it's, I don't know that today, when you hear music, it reflects the the period as much as I think we're going to experience over over the, the 30 songs that you're going to play, but you know, Simon and Garfunkel, the previous song, still kind of sounds a little bit like the 60s. It's kind of, you know, kind of that peace and love sound. Yeah. And this still has that, but it it's turning. It, it's like when I listen to the instruments in the background, it's starting to get
1: kind of that early 70s sound. Well, Simon and Garfunkel, they, I don't know, for some reason their music really has a similarity to, like some of the music that Sinatra came out with. I don't know if it has if it's a New York thing, but it's kind of that era you have the really kind of over the top uh, orchestral sure. numbers, and to me, it just kind of has that 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 six. It's it screams sixties, even though it was number one in nineteen seventy. But right. it, it just has it screams that 60s sound to me. But
0: no, I I think that's a that's a, a good uh, analogy or at least a comparison to what Sinatra sounded like because it does it. It has a very smooth sound to it, and you know what, well, Janice Joplin has more of a raw edge, at least to her voice
1: yeah and and she had such a again it's somebody that was uh, this we're talking 1971 this is a few months before i'm even born so uh, everything i knew about janice joplin came in later years after you read and watched but you know as i have gotten older i have come to appreciate her soulfulness a little bit better i didn't you know i just thought you know she's she was a drug addict you know yeah. she had a couple hit songs but she really did have a, a a beautifully soulful, like r and B kind of voice, which I thought was kind of rare in the rock, era, you know, the rock side of music. So, although in 1971, I can guarantee you, I had no idea who she was. <laughs> That's true. All right, let's go to 1972. Another very familiar song, and you know, you said about kind of defining the era. Oh, well, we are still really mellow.
0: Wow, it's really introspective. Uh, some introspective lyrics there. thing I met was with the the sky no clouds
1: So I know that the band America sure. and this is a horse with their name. I know that they got the name because they were formed. They were American players. Mm-hmm. and the band was formed. I'm pretty sure it was formed in England. And I think it was the combination of a bunch of guys whose families were in the military. So they were on military bases and they essentially grew up in Europe, Okay. but they were American. And that's sort of how they came up with the name America. And to me, what I find really interesting is that this is not, when you think of all the, the music that came out of the UK and Europe, this is very un-European. I mean, this is very kind of Midwestern, kind of, you know, the desert, horse with a name. You're thinking, what, Santa Fe, New Mexico, or maybe Arizona? It,
0: it, it's very similar to kind of a John Denver sound. I mean, you got acoustic guitars going on. Yeah, sure. You could, when you hear this song, you could almost picture yourself in a car, just driving across the desert.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe in the, maybe in the, uh, you know, the sunset. I think they even sing about it. I am not even I'm not even speculating Shame, right. shame on me Alright, that's America with a horse with no name And that was from 1972 And then they had a little bit of a comeback in the early 80s They did, they they had a relatively good career I Which mean, is
0: when I first really became aware of them And yes. then I, I went back and then I heard their earlier music
1: Alright, so let's go to 1973 And this was, you know, you said about everything being down, you know, kind of slow and mellow I'm Kind of chill There we go this is what I might have been listening to. This is exactly what I've been listening <laughs> to.
0: That's
1: right.
0: Ride the love train.
1: Love train. Love train. All, over all, the all over the world. Sean, what's that sound? It would be that Philly sound. Sounds like a Philly sound to sure me. Sure does this is the the OJs and love train
0: very distinct I mean when you when you hear that I mean it's you, not everyone might know know it's the OJs but there's probably very few people that that watch television now because I think it, this was one of your commercials right yes was this a Coors Lake commercial yes it was
1: yeah yeah and this song is one year shy of 50 years old. I still love this song. So we, we suddenly jumped up
0: to... Now, as I said, this is music that I would have been listening to. Okay. All right, so that is
1: 1973. and That's uh, right. Five years old, folks. I was, I was <laughs> taken in the OJs. Love Train by the OJs. Now, 1974. Uh, this is definitely a time period piece um, because of the artist that is singing it. So this particular... This particular uh, artist had quite a career going on at at that particular time. Let this kind of wind up here because it does end up kicking in. But this is so seventies to me. The fortune queen of New Orleans is brushing her
0: cat in her black limousine. Okay. On the back you know who it is?
1: I, I don't. Wait, wait, is that Cher? It is Cher. It, oh, wait, is this like Half Breed or something like that? It's on the Half Breed album. It's Dark Lady. Okay. But same
0: same group throughout the whole. I, I think I remember seeing Cher on television, kind of dressed as an Indian, singing this song. She, Cher,
1: in 1974. Might have been the biggest celebrity in the world. Mm-hmm. You, you could you could make that argument at least for the United States on television because there was the Sonny and Cher show. Sure. So when this song comes out, Cher has a top-rated television show on yep. TV. Sonny and Cher was a variety show. They performed all kinds of silly skits, but one of the big parts of the show is. Share would perform, and at this point in 1974, she's kind of separated herself from Sonny Bono. Even though they had the show together, she was the one that was performing the music on the TV show. And I can absolutely envision her standing up on stage singing the song on her, mm-hmm. during the TV show. Yeah, yeah. Now that was that was definitely a show that we watched
0: as a family. So I, I would have probably struggled to come up with the title. But yeah, no, I, I've heard this song. And you're right, it kind of does fit in with that era. I, I don't know how, if, if this same sort of song would have been a hit 10 years later.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> but in '74, it definitely was big. 1974. This is Dark Lady by Cher. So let's go to 1975. And this is one of my favorite songs by this particular artist and for this this artist he had a tremendous comeback in the 70s was a huge singer in the 1960s had a had a probably a dozen or so top 10 hits with his band the four seasons and this was really a step a solo step away for him and i'm talking about frankie valley sounds good today you know I've, I've watched some, 90 years old and, and me, he's always had a great voice this when he came out with the four seasons what I remember about Frankie Valley in I think my first memory of Frankie Valley is the theme song to Greece yeah because he's saying that sure
0: yeah I like I this song
1: I think at the time he was when he did Greece he was probably about maybe 42 43. Which at that time, you know, was old for a singer, for, yeah. for a guy putting out hit songs.
0: Because, I mean, their heyday was the 1960s, you know, with the Four Seasons. And I think what the song Grease came out in like 78? Yes. Yeah, 1978. Well, I mean, obviously he had a hit here.
1: What, what year was this? You said 75? 1975, yeah. yeah. And if you haven't ever seen the movie or this, the play, Jersey Boys. I, I have seen the movie. It's it's a good story. And obviously, Hollywood does a little bit of magic. But the thing I appreciate about, about Clint Eastwood was the story wasn't that far off what actually did happen in real life. And it tells a pretty amazing story about Frankie Valley and his interactions with the other pe- members of the band. So if you haven't seen it, I do recommend that you check it out. Uh, Jersey Boys is about Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons, from, and that's essentially the 1960s group. Now, when, when Frankie recreates the Four Seasons in the 70s, it's a new band, essentially. So he just kind of kept the name The Four Seasons, even though the songwriting was by the same guy who was a part of the band in the 60s. But, right. All right, so that was 1975. Okay. My Eyes Adored You by... Frankie Valley. Let's go to 1976. Another one of my songs that is still great to this day. Back to
0: Back Frankie Valley. That's our I, first one. I would not have guessed that. So this song doesn't catch me by surprise because I still listen to this one.
1: Oh, this is great. Right,
0: like on a regular basis.
1: You know, I had mentioned in our favorite performers of the 1970s how Paradise by the Dashboard Light is a song that still gets requested at weddings to this right. day. Right, right. This song still gets requested at weddings to this day. It should. This is one of those timeless songs that has just held up for 40 plus years. And uh, Frankie Valley, I knew who Frankie Valley was. And I think when I started to get into wedding DJing, was when I really kind of paid more attention to some of his hit songs mm-hmm. and really appreciate how how gifted that band was when they when they had that incredible run in the '60s and '70s. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and Frankie Valley was, you know, kind
0: of like you. It's a name that I, I was aware of, and I think a lot of it was just because he had that distinct voice, and also, if you remember, they used to play those commercials for like their greatest hits albums.
1: Yeah, and, that's true.
0: And so I more or less knew him from those commercials.
1: Yeah. That wouldn't be k Tell, would it? I think it was k Is that Freedom Rock? <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. We'll turn it up, man. Yeah. Everybody remembers that commercial, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Come on. All right. So that was uh, the back-to-back uh, Frankie Valli from 1975, My Eyes Adored You, 1976, December 1963. Oh, what a night. Let's go to 1977 and I'm going to just kind of play it and then look at your reaction. Would young Sean be listening to this? I can tell you at this point I would have
0: run over and changed that radio station.
1: (laughs) Now, do you know who it is? Well, let me think. It sounds like Barbara Streisand. It is Barbara Streisand, yeah. Yeah, no I would not have been listening to this at all. So this came this was the love theme to the movie A Star is Born. Was it really? Yeah. I mean that was
0: okay. That all was right. her
1: and Chris Christopher. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Nineteen seventy seven. And it was a big movie, and this song was actually one of the most successful number ones on this particular list. Really, this was the third week that it was number one. I see. I I don't remember it at all. I mean, I
0: when I got older, I went back and watched *A Star Is Born*. In fact, Scott, I think I remember seeing it as like on television. It was mm-hmm. like one of the ABC whatever night movies. That, I think that's that they had. that's how I remember watching. So it So yeah. obviously, it was very censored and you know I and, and cut down you know where it was you know. You know, they they edited it out so it could fit you know the time constraints that they had and you know with commercials. But I I don't remember that song being in the movie.
1: Have you? Because play I think it's played at the very end. Okay, at the very end. Maybe because, I had to go to bed at that point. Um, I forget what Christopherson's character's name was, but he does die at the end. Oh, he does. I think so. Yeah, it's been a long time. <laughs> <laughs> but it was uh, you know it was recently remade with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. Sure i i have have yet to finish watching that movie, but I really thought that they they both did a pretty good job in in the in the newer version because I remember they made such a big deal about the older version and uh, I thought they did a you know it's always nice when they do remakes that it's kind of done with the same i guess heart heart behind it that the original is and I was way too young to even. Really with understand. the original, I,
0: I don't know if if I'm getting this correct, so forgive me, folks, if I get this wrong, but I'm fairly certain that Elvis was offered the role he was, in the yeah. movie. Okay, good. Yeah, then, he then was. I'm, I'm right with that. Yeah, And that they were concerned that it would destroy his image.
1: And so was Kenny Loggins. Kenny Loggins Kenny was, offered was offered the lead. Wow. And he ended up, I think, he, I don't know if he was able to accept it, but I know that he had seriously injured his hand in a wood cutting accident okay. and had to cancel his tour with jim asena and i think that was right around this time so maybe he had to cancel because of of the injury I'm not because sure. kind
0: of you know as, as i remember the the movie was it, you have this down and out rock star you know who's on his way down where the barbara streisand character is on her way up right and so it, it's kind of sad to watch uh the chris christopherson character kind of spiral out of control and you know i i you know i it probably was pretty true to what was happening with elvis in a lot of ways because i mean they i remember there was drug use in Mm -hmm. the movie and and um uh i can see that's why and it was colonel parker still managing elvis colonel tom parker yeah so he probably didn't want to to tarnish the king's image
1: i think elvis in 1977 i think that was the year he died isn't it i think he died in 1977 oh okay so i mean he was around that time it was right around that time so uh, evergreen the love theme from a star is born by barbara Streisand. not part of my
0: it, not in any playlist i've ever created on uh on uh, spotify folks so
1: don't look for that from okay me. 1978 this is probably pretty time appropriate and perhaps you had this on when you were roller skating around the roller skating rink
0: Never, never owned this song, but
1: I always liked it. Yeah,
0: I don't think in '78 I was—I didn't own a whole lot of music.
1: No, I didn't start really buying records until—I mean, when 1978, I'm still seven. Yeah. So I'm not really old enough to buy my own records. I, it's right. probably maybe a year, a couple of years after that. Right. I remember one of the first, <laughs> one of the first 45s that I ever bought was dr Hook's sexy eyes <laughs> <laughs> i remember <laughs> that, that that i ever used my own money to pay yeah. for i think I, you know back then you know as everybody knows you had the a side the b side i think a 45 cost like maybe a buck 50 at the time they were not expensive what was on the b side you remember i don't even remember i what i do remember was that i left it in the sun in my my window on top of my record player and it got warped Okay, but I got this weird fascination. Why are we talking about <laughs> Doctor Hook? I got this weird fascination about playing it warped because it, it made their they made their singing kind of distorted them. And I just got I, I used to play Davy Crockett in the higher speed. Yeah. So. Speaking of higher speeds, this is 1978's The BGS and Night Fever from Saturday Night Fever, which was everywhere at this point in 1970 1978. You. Can't get away from disco and Saturday Night Fever. I think in general you can't. And in
0: 1978, I'm, i you know I, I would have just turned 10 years old, and I I'm definitely becoming aware of music. The I, I you know I, I said in one of our episodes where we talked about artists of the 70s. It probably around 1976ish. You know when when I was 8, eight nine, 10 years old is when I started to find my own music, and I wasn't just relying upon what was played in the house. You know, on the on the radio coming out of the car, or, or, or I actually had my own radio. I could select what I liked, and I would have picked something like that. that sure. That's you know, in '78, I, I would have liked the BGS. Yeah,
1: and and the song was all over the radio. And, right. and you and I have said many times that we were very much listeners of radio pop music. Yep, so yep, top if, forty music. If it was on the charts, we were we were listening to it. We enjoyed it. So that was 1978, Night Fever by the Bee Gees. Let's go to 1979. Is that the Bee Gees again? Back to back.
0: So Frankie Valley and the Bee Gees. This would be tragedy? Yep.
1: This one doesn't get played a lot. Not much. I, I, think, I think for the reason of, of Barry Gibb hitting a falsetto note that probably breaks glass. <laughs> uh, you know, at, at one point in the song, they, You know, they started out experimenting with the falsetto. Oh, he's full falsetto in, there. In Nights on Broadway, which is a great song. Yeah. And at the very end, he starts screaming in falsetto. And they're like, hey, this is great. We've hit a whole new level. Then they do the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. And they do more. Now, this is Spirits Having Flown. This was the album after Saturday Night Fever. And there's a lot of this. They they were sucking a lot of helium at this point every song was was kind of like this and i i think that's kind of the downfall of disco in a way is that they kept they kept staying with a formula right and i think the Bee Gees knew that they were kind of kind of felt like they had to make this sound because in the 80s they were doing much different music than what this particular piece is they were doing music in the 80s absolutely they were the top producers <laughs> they, they were not getting put out there they were the top producers. they wrote songs for they may have written songs for other people they writ- wrote dozens of songs and produced dozens of hit albums for
0: all different kinds of artists but you were not hearing barry gibbs voice a whole lot i, it, I take that back in the early 80s you, you do hear some duets you with, did. with him but you're not hearing this high falsetto voice uh you know you know i i said how when you hear music from that era it transports you back to a moment at least it does for me and this takes me back
1: immediately to hearing casey Kason. so what i remember about this particular song mm-hmm. and, and the album spirits having flown the bgs at this point they are hands down the biggest band in the world not for long and but they are so right now i watched a documentary on hbo which is really well done and it it does side by side remember disco sucks night at comiskey park in chicago we talked about that sure at the same time, spirits having flown, the tour kicks off mm-hmm. in Los Angeles at Dodger Stadium to a major sellout crowd, and they are thousands and thousands and thousands of adoring fans, and they couldn't sell out by the end of the tour. Well, that's why,
0: you know, I th- there's the old phrase, um, you know, here today gone tomorrow you know i heard david lee roth say one time oh no in the music industry it's here today going later today
1: <laughs> well and we're going to prove that right now so that was 1979 yeah so we had night fever tragedy two years back to back okay there's there's so you say we're going to totally change well you tell me should i can i is it is it a major hit
0: yeah oh, it's, is it my sharona no oh okay no. oh that you that is that is way different Nineteen
1: eighty. This is the wall, Pink Floyd. Yep. Another we brick in the wall part two. Yeah. Yeah, you want to talk about a 180 yeah. as far as music and, goes. And mm-hmm.
0: I do remember this being played heavily on oh, the radio. Yeah. So, you know, prior to this, Pink Floyd was strictly an album band. Yeah, I mean, you know, as Dark a, Side of the Moon. As a kid I knew who Pink Floyd was. We, we were you know, speaking of case to case, you know, he would always read off when he would do his that, that show he did on television was America's Top 10. And he would always say, you know, what was on the album charts. And I just remember every single episode he would say, Pink Floyd's, what am I drawing a blank on right now? The uh, Dark, Side of the, Dark Moon. Side of the Moon. Yeah. yeah. It was, was just for year after year after year, it was always on the charts. Right. And that's primarily what they were known as. But with the Wall
1: album, they now were in heavy rotation on the radio. Yeah. This is really the first, I mean, this is my first memory of. Uh, you know pink floyd on the radio that's that's how i was introduced to them and I, I had heard of pink floyd but i couldn't have named a single song that they did and yeah i mean this this album was a big deal you mentioned casey Kasem, by the way his wife jean Kasem, mm-hmm. a native of portsmouth new hampshire by the way oh, just, is that right? just so you know the, yeah. the, the actress yes the actress yeah, the from one Cheers. Who was, yep who played carla tortelli or not carla what was her name loretta she was, who's nick's uh was it loretta Loretta, yes, yeah. Loretta, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, but yeah, I that was it was a very very abrupt change. We talked about that generationally. It seems like every decade there's something that comes along, and it sort of turns everything around. Disco got turned around mm-hmm. and, and sort of became this, you know, the Pink Floyd, like the like the rock band started to make this comeback. You know, just like you know, Guns N' Roses, even though they came in as as heavy metal. They kind of turned the rock scene on its ear at the end of the decade. Nirvana, you know, kind of changing the whole heavy metal scene in the 90s. So there's like, you kind of have these different moments where there's a a very seismic shift in the landscape of what was popular and what is now popular.
0: And at least in my mind, the people that would have been at the uh, disco demolition night at Comiskey Park in Chicago would have been exactly the kind of people that would go into a Pink Floyd concert.
1: Yeah, and I and I think at that point, it, it sort of becomes such the antithesis of what was popular at that time. There were enough rock and roll fans that were just waiting for something to come out and they were all going to get behind it. Right. And and The Wall was arguably probably that first rock album that came out post-disco that it seemed like every rock fan got behind it and it just, it, it sold, you know, like gangbusters. Well,
0: 1980, you know, you know, keep doing the math here i'm 12 so this is uh, i i'm extremely aware of of pink floating on the wall
1: okay so that was 1980 1981 um see now we're gonna get into my era here pretty soon and i know you were a big fan of the song in this particular band still gets played in
0: movies quite a bit
1: you should have seen That's right. You should have seen. Played three years ago at the York Fairgrounds. <laughs> voice, maybe, I was just listening to R.E.S.B. Wagon tonight. Really did, uh, this was a big album. I mean, High this was a huge
0: album. This, this is. I mean, I know Pink Floyd's The Wall was big, but as far as as me. For, for me being aware of a phenomenon, this was the first album that I was aware of that there is a movement where now I'm, um, um, you know, it, I'm a teenager, right? Mm-hmm. I, just, I just turned 13, so for the first time, I'm associating with people who are now aware of albums and right. we're talking about albums. And I might know have some, or know some people have some friends who would have this album. You know, you know, talk about our sister Lori. She definitely had this. Yeah. I mean, that's probably where I heard it first. And she was the first person that I knew that had the album. But this was the first time that I remember, like, where for at least a a sliver of time that everybody was into R.A. Speedwagon.
1: Sure. Yeah. And they were one of the first bands to be played on MTV. Sure. One of the very first videos to be played. And I know they just did a... uh, recently did a, a 40th year celebration back in 2021 of the start of mtv august 1st of 1981 and they interviewed rio speed and he said uh kevin kevin cronin kevin cronin yeah so they interviewed kevin and he said it was literally overnight they were doing a concert at madison square garden in new york city and he said i the day before I was walking around Midtown Manhattan, just doing my thing. Mm -hmm. And he said the day after MTV broke, as soon as he walked out of the hotel, he got recognized by about five people. Right. And he said it it took him by surprise because it had never happened to him before. And his uh, RSB background was one of the first bands that actually had a management that sort of supported the MTV format because – if you remember, there were a lot of bands that were kind of reluctant to do videos. Like, they thought it was beneath them. Sure. And R.E.O. Speedwagon, Hall of Notes, Pat Benatar, there were quite a few, there were there were enough of them out there that they sort of embraced it and said, you know what, I think this, this could be something big. And well, R.E.O. Speedwagon was one of those bands that had the management and said, you guys need to get behind this. And just a little side story is, Kevin Cronin was actually offered the job as a host on MTV back when it first aired and he okay. turned it down because he thought it would be too hard to tour it would have been and do MTV at the yeah, same time it would have been tough so
0: yeah you know you, you can see you know where when you break big like that you become an overnight success and people suddenly especially with MTV being out there they now see his face right you know where you could be a a star in the 70s and you know P- who Uh, outside your hardcore fan base you probably you know most people aren't going to know a lot of the artists uh, of of the the, you know the moderate stars sure and that's you know that's the reason why you know scott and i don't have our pictures out there on youtube because you know (laughs) we don't want to get mobbed and have our our lives suddenly (laughs) thrown upside down that's right that that or the fact that you know we can't play songs on youtube you know (laughs) where we are it's nice that we can play music and um i i think i'd like to do youtube but you know right now because we're playing music that's not possible
1: Yeah, and I think I think our listeners, just from what we have heard from those that we know in our local area, they they like the music as being part of it because the music helps. Kind of recast those memories right. in, your, in your mind
0: right and because i have had people ask like you know when are we going to go on youtube and and unfortunately youtube so heavily regulates the music yeah and then so or not or you would you know you and i become these overnight successes <laughs> when wouldn't be able to walk the streets of Nashville. <laughs> it still makes me laugh
1: <laughs> all right so that is 1981 keep on loving you by ario's e. great song let's go to 1982 one of the most played songs of the 1980s i think you'll recognize it right away of course
0: Well, this does take me back to, to this time in 1982. Sure. I mean, Joan Jett was so big with this
1: album. You know what impresses me a lot about this, this list is how many of these artists are now in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And Joan Jett deservedly so. I mean, Absolutely. she should have gone in a long time ago. Yeah. And, yeah, this song really... I think she was my number one
0: Ladies That Rock. Yes.
1: Yeah. I... This defines, I think, for me, 1982. I just remember, I hear the song and I'm instantly. There's there's places I've been on on the on the bus, sure. riding from St. Ann's school home, because the kids were listening to this song coming out of school when they came running outside. Uh, you know, I think back to. Uh, it just brings back so many memories for me. It's like if I had to pinpoint like 1982, riding my bike to baseball practice, you know, right. just little things like that, that this song just sort of wraps itself around. And, uh, it's a shame that it has gotten played. I know, so much I know it, that's, years. and I was thinking the same thing when it came on, I was like, yeah, that's a
0: great song. It's one that I, I, I don't go back to a lot because I have to kind of escape it. Cause yeah. it's so prominent and it's so much a part of the, you know, the Gen X heritage And I I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon.
1: No, no. And unfortunately, I think there's, I used to get really excited whenever I would listen to whatever radio station. And they would do like, you know, around here it was the Rose that you and I both used to work for. And they used to do flashback Fridays. Mm -hmm. Um, And the rotation of songs, it ended up being the same rotation of songs every Friday. Right. And there's some, there's some pretty cool songs in there. And unfortunately, you know, you you end up hearing, there's so many songs that end up defining the eighties, but there's so much more music than just that. And unfortunately, because I Love Rock and Roll is a great song that I loved when I was a kid, mm-hmm. is one of those songs that got put into that rotation that now it's like I hear it and I'm kind of like ready to push the button to change stations. Although, when Weird
0: Al's I Love Rocky Road yes. comes on, I'll still listen to that one. Sure, absolutely. That's a, that's a great intro. Go back and listen to that one, folks. It is, <laughs> it is hilarious
1: um how about my Bologna? that was another weird mm-hmm, So sure, i think that yeah. was his first first uh hit song on Doctor another one rides the bus yep all right so that was 1982 i love rock and roll joan jett and the Blackhearts. 1983 think 1983 i don't think this is going to be a surprise to anybody
0: what i'm surprised is that you told me michael jackson doesn't have back-to-back number ones that is a surprise yeah he certainly was still popular in
1: 1984 But 1983 This was the biggest star in the world Now I told you There's there's a total of four Okay Alright So There's four artists that Hit it twice Okay And so we, we had two so far We right? had two
0: Alright
1: You know I would make the argument That this video Probably did as much if not more than any other video into the sort of the prominence of MTV why is that because of how huge the album was and it just seemed like MTV went along for the ride I think before this you're, you're probably talking about the police with synchronicity okay but the fact that Thriller kind of surpassed synchronicity in terms of album sales. And just the scale of the videos that Michael Jackson was doing was so much different than what anybody else did. His, the the imagination and the creativity to put out, uh, you know, videos like um, Thriller and Beat It. It's just like he put they put so much care and thought into that, the Billy Jean video. It's kind of a basic video. But he obviously kind of took that concept and really... Pushed the envelope more so than probably any other artist at that time. It, it's a basic video,
0: but you know, much like you know, I use the example of Italian cooking. You know, Italian cooking is about where you don't you don't do too much to it to the food. You let the ingredients shine. In a lot of ways, that's kind of what Michael Jackson did in this video. It's because it's so simple, but as a result, you really get to focus on him, right. especially his dancing and. You know, that hole where he's walking down the street and the streets lighting up whenever he steps is just so memorable and so etched in my mind that, um, I mean, I, I think there was, there was definitely brilliance in that. And, and also, you know, with the point that you were making about with MTV going along for the ride. So you talk about Speed Speedwagon and how when their video gets played, suddenly they became stars. Mm-hmm. I agree with you that this was the opposite. This was a star where MTV hitched their wagon to mm. the star. Yeah. They they didn't need to to coax or create the platform for Michael Jackson. Right. Because I, I remember that, you know, in the early days of MTV, there was a lot of controversy because they weren't playing black artists or very few black artists. right? And Michael Jackson's camp said that if you don't expand and play more black artists, we're pulling our videos. And there was no way they were going to lose Michael Jackson.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah, very important as, as far as just the... I guess, yeah, early MTV was very much kind of a similar sound of music, and there's a very famous video out there that's still out there where Mark Goodman is interviewing David Bowie, and David Bowie was pretty critical of MTV because of that reason, and I don't think he was necessarily talking about race as much as he was talking about diversity of music, I know race became a part of that conversation, but... In doing so, it, it really expanded what platform MTV had. It actually made them better because they had so many more types of music, and you weren't playing just the same type of singer, whether it was you know Billy Joel, Pat Benatar, but that same kind of kind of that rock pop kind of sound. And now you're able to expand it. You got R and B. Now you have a little bit more sound. It became rap. Mm-hmm. So it, it really did kind of open things up for the future. It did. Now you know, going
0: back, uh, you know, a few years before this, you know, I was really into Rick James. Mm-hmm. Rick James didn't get played on MTV.
1: No, not at all. Where
0: no. had he come out? You know, with that the, the Street Songs album, mm-hmm. probably a year after Thriller. I think you would have seen, you know, bigger success for Rick James.
1: Well, after Michael Jackson, Rick James. I do remember watching some videos. But they weren't, you know, he wasn't putting out his best music at that sure, point. Sure. His yeah. best days had passed. Exactly right. His most successful days had passed. I, obviously, if you're a fan of Eddie Murphy, which we are, and tune into our episode on Eddie Murphy if you're interested. Right. But Rick James is in the video for Party All the Time mm-hmm. because he was the writer and producer of the song.
0: Right. So, so. The, you know, there's other artists that I really liked, uh, you know, like the Gap Band. You know, mm-hmm. I really like them. And, you know, later
1: on, the band Cameo,
0: it gets big with, with right. word up and maybe that's on the list but you know yeah. what,
1: what's funny to me is that when you and i were a little bit younger even before we got mtv but even after we got mtv a show that you and i used to like watching every day was on uh, channel 17 and it was called dancing on air sure and the thing i always liked about dancing on air is they they were definitely more into a gap gap band r&b mm-hmm. i mean we that's where I saw New Edition for the very first time. I think they did Popcorn Love or something like that, way back in the in the early '80s, and that was where I I kind of was introduced to that sort of that R and B sound. So for me, it was Soul Train. Okay, well yeah, I remember watching Soul Train because
0: uh, you know on a Saturday Saturday morning, you know, you get American Bandstand, but during there was an off hour where you get Soul Train. Right. And I started watching Soul Train when I was a little kid and really got exposed to you know, early Prince and, you know, a, a lot of the, uh, the artists that we just mentioned. So I was, I was definitely ready for Michael Jackson. And when Thriller came out, I,
1: I, I, was, I was on board. Okay. So that was from 1983, Billie Jean by Michael Jackson. So we're at what number episode now? It's 20... 23. 23. And what do people always like about, uh, you know, in baseball? What's one of the things that always gets baseball fans really excited as a streak right sure so what is you know what is a streak of being continuously you know uh, getting a hit in every game how about the band (laughs) that gets mentioned in every episode is this the hooters (laughs) (laughs) no
0: no no it's the mighty van halen well if you are going to have anything that represents the year 1984 you might as well,
1: uh, you know, have something from the album, 1984. Sure. March 19th, 1984. And this this album was released. Wasn't it released New Year's Eve? It was. Diamond Day was, was on MTV. It was introduced New Year's Eve. It was. New Year's Eve, 83, 84. Yeah. And it was... Uh, this is one of the first albums that I truly fell in love with the complete album from beginning to end. Sure. And... To this day It just amazes me How good these guys
0: are So I actually was just recently Having a conversation with my, my Good friend and one of our loyal listeners Jack Herm, And I was talking about the song Top Jimmy And he was not familiar with it And he told me that Sorry to call you out for this Jack But he told me that he's never listened to 1984 The entire album Really? And I was stunned The Top Jimmy Cooks Top Jimmy Swings, he's got the look. Top Jimmy, he's the king. But right now, you know, of course, we listen to Jump, right. which is their signature song in a lot They're of ways. They're only number one. They're only number one. And it, it was very different from from the sound that they had prior to that. Right. You know, they, they were always, you know, a party band, hard-rocking band. This was the, the song that Ted Templeman, their producer, didn't necessarily want them to do. Because it,
1: was, it has that heavy synthesizer sound. Yeah, Eddie had really wanted to make a change at that point. He really, he was the one that really forced the synthesizer and the keyboards on the band. And the way he did it was he built his own studio, and you know he built 5150,
0: so they didn't get a sunset sta- sound. And Ted Templeman couldn't watch him at all times, so he would right. work on these other things when Ted wasn't there, right? Because he was at his house. Well, yeah. You know,
1: he just could. But as much as Jump gets played. For a song that gets played as much as it is, I still like it. I, I agree. I, I can't. I, I don't know. It's hard to get tired of the song because it is. It is so good. And obviously, you know, your listeners, you you know how big you know what fans Sean and I are of Van Halen. So it's not really a big surprise to anybody. But it's obviously fitting that I think for my brother to have his birthday March nineteenth, you got to have at least one Van Halen song on it. So the streak continues now. Uh, I think we've mentioned it now in 23 straight. And I am so happy that uh, it came during the Roth era. Sure. Yeah. All right. So that takes us through 1984. We're going to stop at this particular time. And we're going to go with part two in uh, next week. So we're going to kind of let this play out for for the mighty Van Halen and Again, thanks for listening. We got 15 more songs to play for you in part two and hope you tune in for the second part here on Gen X Playback Show. Yeah, come back, folks, and help me relive each of my birthdays throughout the rest of the Gen X era. All right, so we'll talk to you for part two next time. This is Gen X Playback Show. We're the Brothers High. I am Scott. And I'm Sean. And we'll talk to you later. See ya.